0: So we're continuing in our series and considering uh, passages that deal with leadership in the church and leadership in the, the kingdom of Christ, which is also the church at this point. And so, but I want to start about uh, with the question of what does it take to be qualified as a school teacher in New York State? How many, how many school teachers do we have in the building? A decent number of you I know, um, I, I talk with one quite a bit, and, and I've kind of learned that New York does not make it easy to be a, a school teacher. There's a lot of uh, things that you have to do to qualify to be a, you know, a qualified teacher. I, I compare it, other states may not be as much. I had a buddy in ministry who he left his position and went down to Florida and got a teaching job. And he, he called up and we were talking and says, hey, they are desperate for teachers down This is 30 years ago. But they were desperate for teachers down there. Come on down. I can get you a job. I was tempted for a little bit. But, uh, but, but New York has, has a host of requirements, just a, a few of them. One is kind of the, the normal one, a four-year degree in the field that you want to teach in. Uh, but you also, to get your teaching license, you've got to pass certain tests that, that qualify you as a teacher. You have to present a portfolio of lesson plans to show that you know how to teach. You have to pass an FBI check. Um, and going forward, you have to do continuing education uh, so that you know all the things that are going on in educational movements nowadays and the different things they're talking about and how they change from time to time. And 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 then you also have to pass observation. You know, you will be observed and to, to actually have your, your your uh, bosses say, oh, yeah, you know, you know what to do. So all these things is what it takes to be qualified as a teacher, which that makes sense. It's not easy being a teacher, and you got to be prepared for anything. And I have an example. Calvin and Hobbes, my favorite ever. And uh, let's see if I can read that. I can't from there. So, so Calvin is giving a, a presentation in class, and he says, he's giving an essay, and he's out loud, and he says, after school at my house, and he says, it's not that I mind being chained in the basement, it's just that when the meat is thrown down, the rats have the advantage of numbers, and they, that's when his teacher interrupts him and this is Miss Wormwood, you know, something. Going on. And then so the last frame is uh, Calvin's mother saying, Why do they want another parent teacher conference? I don't understand. And <laughs> Calvin says, I told him to expect you to deny everything. <laughs> so, so knowing you teachers have, have a lot of challenges, I just throw that out for you. But, but really, my topic is what qualifies someone for leadership? ...in the kingdom of God? And I'll give you the answer straight up. First and foremost, it is the Holy Spirit in their life. Church leaders are not to operate by their own skill and giftedness. They're to operate out of the the presence of the Holy Spirit... ...in reliance on the Lord and His Spirit within them. And we see that in our passage today. So this is the calling of the first elders... Um, amongst the people of Israel. So this is the Old Testament, time of Moses, 1,400 years before Jesus, you know, way, way back in the past. And so we see this going on. So the passage we're looking at is Numbers 11. I would argue that there's a parallel passage of Exodus 18. They're both describing the same event, but they describe it a little differently, so it's sometimes worth comparing the two. But the key thing in both of them is that the burden of leadership is just too much for Moses. He, he's being burnt out, and they need more than just one man to be the leader over them. Now Moses had led them out of Egypt, uh, out of slavery in Egypt, was le- leading them towards the promised land. They're wandering in the desert. All these things are going on, and and so the Lord says, "Let's add to the number of leaders." and Find 70 elders. And so from Exodus 18, it talks about, look for able men who fear God and who are trustworthy. Right? So the character of leaders matters. Right? Able men, they, they have to be able to do things, They're able to relate to people who fear God. Now the idea behind that is, is it's not that you want to be afraid of God. It's that you've got to fear God more than you fear other people. Right? You've got to do what's right, even if other people are mad at you for doing it. So that's what, when it's talking about fearing God. And who are trustworthy, it talks about those who are not going to take bribes. Right, people who will uphold what is right and just. That's, so Exodus 18 talks about that, but, but we see the other quality is the, that of the, the Spirit. Um, so Numbers 11 So both passages talk about the burden being too much, the need for other, their leaders. So they they determine who will be the the new leaders amongst the people. And it says 70 elders. In Numbers, it speaks of them as judges. But if you go to Deuteronomy 1, Deuteronomy 1 kind of melds together the two different passages. That's why I say they're parallel passages of the same event. The people knew, more than anything, that Moses was speaking with god that moses wasn't operating on his own initiative they they would watch moses go out to the tent of meeting and and they'd see god's presence the cloud come upon the tent and then it even talks about moses coming out glowing god's god's presence was that real like that he even had to put a veil over his face it was so so much and so they knew moses was talking to god so what about these new leaders like you know if you had a choice like well i I don't i don't know about this guy i know moses is, is hearing from god so god had to do something to validate the leadership of these these additional elders and it says he will take some of the spirit from moses and put it on them now that's not to say god's spirit is a limited resource right he he can, he can give the spirit to these new elders without Moses, you know, having... Moses still has the full amount. But it's, it's the idea that it's the same spirit, right? And they, they, the people have to see it. So Moses gathers these, uh, these elders who have recognized maturity among the people, the able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy. And, and then it says, the Lord... So they, they went out to the outside the, the camp at the tent meeting, but this is presumably in sight that all the people are watching this happening. And so the 70 men are there, and it says the cloud, the cloud of God's presence descends upon them. Now remember, when they had left Egypt, what led them? A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So this cloud fire thing is, is that, that presence of God's spirit that, that people would have recognized. And then it says the Lord spoke to Moses. So people could see it's it's the Lord speaking. And then, it, in some visible way, it says the spirit came upon these 70 elders and they began to prophesy. Um, it says they prophesied for a time. It wasn't like continuously, but there was this time of prophesying and the 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 text implies that it's kind of an ecstatic prophecy the word ecstatic meaning they're out of themselves it makes clear that it's a divine presence upon them that is causing them to speak this is kind of a known thing other religions would have the same idea that the the spirit of a god would come upon and someone would speak for the god but but it's it's this idea that this ecstatic speed it's not just them You know their own reason they're 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 divinely empowered they're praising god full of energy that comes from beyond themselves and and it's visible and i think what has to happen is the people needed to see they needed to know the spirit had come upon these men that they were under their control for them to accept their leadership just as much as moses was it was a validation of leadership and also an empowerment for leadership. That both of those things are happening, and it's because, for the kingdom of God, uh, God wants his leaders to be operating in the Holy Spirit, under the Holy Spirit. The liturgical churches—I don't know if you know what I mean by that. I—I I was in uh, have been different kinds of churches in my ministry and life, and. Some are more liturgical, which means they, they have more readings and, and such. Um, and so the liturgical churches like to use physical symbols to convey things. I meant to grab one of my stoles. I, when I, at one of my churches I had that stole, which I don't know if you know, it's like that thing that comes across the, the piece of cloth, like usually it's red or green and it would come down. And the idea of that stole in a liturgical church is it's just a physical symbol of this, of the burden of leadership, of the Holy Spirit calling upon a pastor to minister within a congregation. So I, I remember one of the pastors I served under when I was a real young guy, he, he was very much into that kind of visible symbols. And when I left that church, he had me take the stole off and set it upon the altar as a symbol that I was leaving the burden of leadership in that church and going to somewhere new and I think there's value in that I, I, I the, that visual display remember in church history for most of church history, people would have been the majority of people would have been illiterate, and so those symbols conveyed truth in in things. So, anyways, I. How how does it get conveyed? How how is leadership validated and seen by the people? And that's where God was giving them that that Holy Spirit, making it visible in a way that everyone knew. And then, interestingly, two guys missed the memo. Right? They, somehow they didn't know they were supposed to go out. Maybe their, the email went to their spam folder. And, uh, or, you know, they're, maybe they're just perpetually late. I, I know people like that. Uh, and so somehow they, they miss going out to the tent and they're still in the camp. But God's Spirit does not depend on, like, distance or anything. And so, boom, they start prophesying just as the other, I don't know if it's the other 68 or if it was total number of 72, you know, could go either way. But, but God's Spirit falls upon them. And Joshua is the young assistant to Moses, and he's really intense. Josh, Joshua's a really, an uh, uh, intense guy, and he gets a little concerned. And he says to Moses, Moses, shouldn't you put a stop to this? Like, you know, the, we want to make sure there's clear lines on who, who the leaders are, and sh- should you put an end to this? And, and Moses just, just chuckles and says, Joshua, are you jealous for my sake? Moses was not insecure about his leadership position. He knew if God was leading, he, he'd gotten used to, God would back him up, and he, he didn't worry about this, like, like zealous Joshua would. Are, are you jealous for my sake? And then Moses expresses a wish, and this is the whole punchline that I wanted to get to. And he says, would that all of the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would put his spirit on them. It's expressed as a wish, as a hope. But this idea, wouldn't it be great if every one of the Lord's people would would do thus, would have God's spirit on them, and would be able to speak the word? That's what prophesying means, by the way. It means speaking the word of God. Wouldn't it be great if all of God's people could could be like that? So, So hold on to that. and Let's talk about in the Old Testament... The connection between the filling with God's Spirit and the ability to lead among God's people is is in other places. It's, it's all over. The leaders in the Bible would have God's Spirit on them. Now, in the Old Testament, it was just the special people. So, so prophets and priests. The, the one example would, would be Elijah. Elijah's man full of, of the Spirit with this power. He's able to do amazing things. So much so that when his successor, Elisha was gonna come after him Elisha makes a request He says may I have a double portion of the same spirit that was on Elijah now you may be familiar with this I I think this idea is sometimes misinterpreted they're thinking that Elisha is asking like may I be twice as great you know have twice as much power that that's not what Elisha is saying if you were the firstborn son you got a double portion of the inheritance what elisha is saying is i want to be considered as the heir of elijah and have the double portion being like the firstborn son's inheritance i want to be you know i want to have that same power as elijah but but still that idea that it was the spirit upon him that validated his leadership in god's people the kings also would receive the Holy Spirit to empower their work and what they were supposed to do. The first king was named Saul, and there's a very similar event that it describes where Saul, too, gets filled by the Holy Spirit and prophesies. Now, you kind of read between the lines, Saul wasn't necessarily a very spiritual guy. And people say, is Saul? among the prophets. Like they were kind of surprised that that they see Saul prophesying like this because that wasn't kind of how they pictured him. But in the Old Testament, it was the special people who had the Holy Spirit upon them that signified their role within among the body of people. But remember Moses' wish. So along comes the prophet Joel. Sometime in the, the framework of the kings and the prophets. Don't know exactly when. And he speaks a prophecy that echoes Moses' wish. Um, and he says, he's talking about a, a day of the Lord that will come. A day when God does something full of wonder and amazing. Signs and powerful things will happen. And, and he says, in that day or in afterwards... I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days. So he's prophesying what Moses had wished for, that God would pour out his spirit, not just like a little dabbing of God's spirit, but that it would be just poured out on all people. All the Lord's people would have this the same empowerment of the spirit upon them. And to emphasize the allness of it, he he gives different categories, right? Sons and daughters. to be both men and women, male and female, who would who would have the spirit. Uh, old men and young men. Right, so it's not it's neither gender nor age. And then he says, and servants. It's not just for the elite, right? The, the important people, it's for um, both. Servants, the servants, the, the lower ones, the, the doers in society, both men and women, will have the same spirit. Now, Joel connects this happening to wonders in the heavens on earth and a great and awesome day. And as you read Joel's prophecy, you go further in, there's this expectation that, that God is going to come and there's going to be judgment and, and, and dealing with sin and dealing with things. And it, it says within that, it says it will come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's all connected to this day of the Lord that will come. So I want to pause a minute. If, if this is the idea, that God would send a Spirit on all of His people, why in the Old Testament did He not just do it then? Why didn't God send the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament times? Or maybe better ask, what had to happen first that would enable God to send his spirit upon all people? And the answer is that before God could pour out his spirit on us, he had to bring a salvation that would deal with our our sinful corruption in our hearts. No person ever has been righteous enough to have the Holy Spirit living inside them. No one from the Old Testament, no one ever, has been free of the corruption of sin in our hearts. We all stood guilty. Where God's Spirit did come, it was was like God had given a provisional forgiveness for that person. But before God could pour out His Spirit, He had to deal with that problem. We talked about this before communion, right? Think, Think for a minute. Can a good and holy God dwell in the heart of someone with the, the wicked desires? We know. Um, we know the unholy thoughts that come up in our mind. We know the desires that sometimes get a hold of us. How can the God who's holy beyond description be with us? We had to have one. We had to have a cleansing within, which required a Savior, one who was pure of heart, who would give His life, For our salvation, who would take our sin upon himself. And so, the big day of judgment that Joel envisioned, and maybe if you'd read it, you'd picture this judgment falling upon all humanity. Instead, that judgment in the day of the Lord fell on one man, the Son of God. He would call himself the Son of Man because he would be our representative. The Son of Man is one who represents all of humanity. And Jesus would describe what he was doing by saying, The Son of Man did not come to be served. He came to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what had to happen before the Spirit of God could come upon us. He had to do this 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 ransoming. And now, because of Christ, it says if anyone is in Christ, he is made into a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. He does a work within us of this this newness, this cleansing, so that now his Holy Spirit can dwell in us. Because we have been cleansed and purified from the inside out. So so the fulfillment of Joel 2 would happen after the coming of Christ, actually 50 days after. It happened at what's called the Feast of Pentecost, which means 50 days, um, when the, the Jewish people were gathered, again, for a festival day. So after the crucifixion of Christ, after his resurrection, after he had appeared to his disciples, after he had ascended back to the Father, so that Jesus would be seated at the right hand of the Father. Now the Father would send upon humanity the Holy Spirit. And would come upon the small number of Christ followers who remained. And they were in Jerusalem. There was 120 men and women. Talks about in Acts chapter 1. Young and old. So that the apostles were mostly probably younger men. Uh, Mark might have been among them. We know that Mark was probably just a kid when this... This would have happened, but we also know Mother Mary was one of that 120. So there were um, and other mothers of the apostles. It's all part of the men and women gathered together, and then and we're we're not going to look at it. Maybe one day we'll focus just on that. But in but in Acts two is when this Day of Pentecost happens, when the Holy Spirit comes upon. And so I have a verse on the screen. It, It describes this and and it divided as tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them just as in numbers eleven the spirit rested on each of the elders and it says then they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance note the commonalities the falling upon a group where they now are given to speaking in this ecstatic speech. But note the difference. In the Old Testament, they they prophesied in one language, in Hebrew. Because at that point, the people of God were the, the Hebrews. But now, as a sign that the gospel would go to all nations and every tongue and tribe would ultimately worship Christ, the, the Spirit comes and they begin to prophesy, speak the word of God and praise and, and all that in many languages. And because it was the Feast of Pentecost, there were Jews who, who had come from all over to be at that feast. The, the, it's a long story. The Jewish people had been dispersed, so that there were Jews living in every major city, in the Mediterranean world but they would still come back to worship the Lord in Jerusalem and that, and that's what was happening so that when this event took place there were people said I hear I hear the Word of God being proclaimed in my own language my home language that I, I couldn't wouldn't expect to hear here in Jerusalem and all of it was a sign just as the Spirit came upon the elders in numbers 11 to validate their leadership so now the Spirit came upon these uh disciples to validate the message of of the community of disciples to validate what jesus had done to validate the church as those who are bearing the word of god and and what what does peter do peter's the lead apostle he gets up and begins explaining what's happening by referencing joel 2 says this is what joel was talking about when he said that men and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see. This is the day of the Lord that our people have been waiting for for 800 years. What Moses had wished for way back in Numbers 11 was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes, It says, Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts, um, form one body, so it is with Christ. So there's one body of Christ, but we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. Right? God's spirit was poured out. That was God's intention all along. So let's relate it to our sermon series. When the church looked for leaders who would guide and direct them, what was the thing they most looked for in the New Testament? People who were full of the Holy Spirit. One example is Barnabas. Barnabas was was, um, not one of the Galilean Jews, he was one of the diaspora Jews who would have spoken Greek. And he, he, maybe he came to faith on that day of Pentecost. Quite possible. In Acts 11, it says, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord through his ministry. So Barnabas became one of the leaders. People recognized that he was full of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 6... It, it describes the first opportunity, first time the, the, the church had to add more leaders to their ranks. So you had the, the 12 apostles, they became 11 because of Judas, and then they became 12 again. But um, you had the apostles, but they were focused on teaching, so they needed to add people who would help with caring for the people, what they would call deacons, those who would minister to the people by distributing bread. And so the first opportunity they had to, to, to choose new leaders, it says this. It says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be. So the key, two key phrases, who are among you. These would not be leaders brought from outside, right? They, they wouldn't go looking outside. Well, we better hire someone in. No, it says people in your midst, right, from among you. And then the second to be known to be, full of the spirit and wisdom people who it's obvious and the two things that are obvious is both the the vertical full of the spirit that relationship of christ they are god-touched people they have that real relationship with the lord in their life and it's it, you could see it and then full of wisdom it's the horizontal right remember able men who, who fear God and are trustworthy. It's the same idea that that, they're, that they have good relationships. And and you can see in other places when it talks about leaders, it's, it, it, it's concerned with both, both the, the vertical and the horizontal, their relationships with others to, to show that they're able to be leaders. <clears throat> but it leaves us with a question, right? How do you know if someone is full of the Spirit? I mean, the Spirit's not visible. It's, you can't see it. We, we don't know. And, and here's where you get some kind of, I'd say some distinctions within churches. There are some who, who think that to, to be known to be full of the Spirit, you have to have some grand dramatic experience, such as speaking in tongues, which is ecstatic speech. Right? That's how you know someone is full of the Spirit. It's the ecstatic speech, some dramatic experience. Um, on the other side, (laughs) I think of someone I knew that, that, that said any true preacher, if they're in the pulpit, the only appropriate thing to wear is a long sleeve, white button down shirt with a tie. And, and in their view, that's how you, you know, that's how, that's what a preacher wears. And I, I don't qualify, but, um, he was a good guy, but it's just, you have this idea, but, um, so some will say it's that dramatic experience I don't think so. I don't think that's how you know if someone is full of the Spirit. Because I, there are some who speak in tongues and some who, whose relationship with God is more of a quiet nature and, and contemplative. I would say that, that fits me. When, I, when I'm drawing closer to God, I'm usually, it's, it's, I'm, I'm more likely listening than talking. Um, but you know it by the, the character, their heart that's evidenced in their life. Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the qualities of someone full of the Holy Spirit. That's what it looks like. That's, that's what I think Barnabas, right? When they said full of, full of the Spirit and faith, they saw these qualities in him. And, and remember, no one is perfect. No one makes every great decision. And so in any leader, it's always going to be Christ growing in them in these qualities. No one's ever going to meet the outward, you know, perfect in everything they've ever done. But it's, it's these qualities growing in their life. So that's the, the first, I'd say, take-home point I want to give is, is what, what does spirit-filled leadership look like to you? When you think about it what, what it, what would it mean for you for the leaders to be full of the spirit and wisdom? And how would you know? How do you know? As we, we, we are a congregation, because we are a congregational church, we call leaders from our midst. We kind of do what they did with the deacons as we look for people who fit that, those qualities. These are the ones who we see as spiritual leaders in our midst, and we're going to affirm that leadership. Um, but the second take-home I want to do is, is the Spirit is not just for the special people. It has come upon us all. And the Spirit empowers His people for service. 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about how, how we've been given the Spirit to drink. In that it says, right, um, all these are the work. And it's talking about all the different ways of serving and serving God in the body of Christ. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. He portions out the Spirit, just as He did in Numbers 11. Right? He, he says, I'm going to put my Spirit on you for this. I'm going to put my Spirit on you for this. He, he gives people in the church different... His Spirit, the power of the Spirit empowers them to do something. Another way of saying this is if we think of the church as a ship which I've used that before, there are no passengers, only crew. Right? If you're on the ship, you're part of the crew, you have a spirit-filled work to do. And that's part of, part of what it means together. Um, I just want to finish kind of talking about a friend of mine um, from back in my last church. Uh, his name is Terry. When I think of spirit-filled, I, I think of Terry. And, um, and Terry is fun. He, he basically, part of the reason I think of that is Terry is an all-out Pentecostal. We, we sometimes would, would argue some theology in that. But man, I knew he had the, the fruits of the Spirit growing in his life. He cared for people. He loved people. Um, he, he wasn't actually a member of my church. He was a neighbor. Um, he lived across the street. But he started coming and we got to know each other and talk, talked a lot. And he had a heart for the people in the neighborhood where this church was. It was a downtown environment. And, and we were always talking about how could we bring the good news of Jesus to, to people around here? What, what would it take to get their attention? Because they weren't coming to the church that we had. You know? It w- wasn't like that. And can I say that that's another aspect of how do you know someone is full of the Spirit? If you're full of the Spirit, it will, it will propel you to want to share the good news with people. You know the, the holy spirit but you will receive power when the holy spirit is upon you and you will be my witnesses and so terry and a few others of us uh, just a group we we tried something we, we tried to do a neighborhood uh cookout at you know once a week we did it for like eight seven or eight weeks where we we, we just grilled hamburgers and terry went and invite everyone in the neighborhood and it was a blast it didn't work super well but we got to share jesus with a few people, and and it was the spirits working in our midst. Now, who knows what seeds are planted in that ministry. My point in being is what is the Holy Spirit impelling each of us to do? How how are we called when we, we have the Spirit? What do we do? We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as servants for his sake. That's what I want you going away with what is the the spirit empowering you to do in his service this morning as the worship team comes up let me let me pray Father, I thank you that you have poured out your spirit in our midst that you just didn't give us a little you gave us the full thing and Lord sometimes we we squash the spirit, we quench it because we're not too. Le- uh, fully tuned into you. Help us, Lord, just be fully tuned in to your spirit, to walk in the spirit, to keep in step with the spirit, to, to, to rejoice in the, your presence in our life, and to let, it, let us, impel us, move us forward in, in the call of ministry upon our life. May each of us know what you're leading us to do through this. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.